Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse to give voice to the families and students in Syracuse on matters of education. You can join us live on Facebook every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Parents for Public Schools Facebook page, as well as Sanchia A Calendar Inc., Neurodiversity Consulting LLC, and my Facebook page, Samantha Kears. We are also available on demand on straight independent radio and on the Parents for Public Schools YouTube channel. My guest today is Stephanie Jackson, who is active in the political and education scene, education advocacy scenes here in central New York. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here tonight. So Stephanie, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got into advocacy on education related matters. Um, well, you know, as a community advocate um, and starting in my local town of Salina district um, and living across from a park, a, an underused park and having uh, programs for the kids like uh, Pop Warner football and cheer, no longer a part of Maddiedale. Um, what we saw was an uptick of crime in the community of young kids you know, in the summers, nothing to do, car break-ins, you know, even home invasions. And that's um, idle hands, you know? And so I, I am now the VP of Maddiedale Vikings football, and we're coming back for the first time in many years. So we're excited about that. But further than that, <clears throat> it also, I ran for New York State Assembly in 2020. And some of the things that I have personally had to go through and people who've reached out to me um, really were um, huge amounts of different things. Um, starting back in June of last year or 2019, when the religious exemption to vaccination was taken away, putting 26,000 kids out of school, um, that's where the need became, more people became homeschoolers. And I started paying more closely attention to the legislation that was coming, um, you know, not passed yet, but concerning as a parent um, with a child in public school, even though not the city of Syracuse, North Syracuse is where my daughter was attending. Um, and knowing their stance on things and how much her education had declined while being in the school district we made a decision to homeschool. I know that that's not feasible for everyone. Um, however, there's a great learning curve and I have a, a real passion to know and understand why there is so much money per child um, and our schools grossly failing our children by underperforming, not having the programs available when the money is there and um, having oversight, you know, um, with the misuse of funds, because we know that those school districts are getting large amounts of money, but uh, a lot of parents are feeling, where is the funding going? And that's very hard information to come across because I actually happen to be working on legislation with uh, my partner, Holly Grant, on educational savings account. Syracuse City has somewhat of a school choice 
but it's not a very good school choice because you have to have danger, you know, some kind of, whether it be bullying or whatever, to go to another school where there might be a high waiting list and so on and so forth. But what an educational savings account in essence <clears throat> will do, and, and I know that we have the foundation aid formula to discuss here in just a moment, would allow that money that a school district would typically receive, whether the child is homeschooled or not, um, receiving programs or services or not, the school district still receives that money for their home student. What this would do was have that money follow the student, essentially like a health savings plan would work, or even an EBT card, because as you know, you can't go to the store and buy whatever you want with an EBT card that's limited. Similar to an educational savings account <clears throat> where we're working out the details for that money to be there for um, the parent to decide um, where the student services, education, and so on and so forth may come from. Um, obviously, within the city, public choice, school choice should be something that could be there, but also if a secondary option isn't working, the child is still not receiving services, a parent should be able to say, I'd like to send my child here. It's in Syracuse, it's still in my area. Um, whether that be private, whether that be homeschooling co-ops, whether that be for books and supplies or online based curriculums, whether that be for sports or other things that add to the education and whole, you know, wholeness of the child and of what, so you can tailor the education experience to the child, not what the state says. So that's something that I'm working on and I hope to get really, we're really kind of close. We're working close with EdChoice to um, follow some of the other states to try to offer this in New York. I know that there's some talk about against this and for negative reasons, but I believe that we can, um, tailor those complaints to really make this be something that is very helpful to all children. So you're right, we, we are going to be discussing some of the, the funding shenanigans, I call them, in New York State when it comes to public education. And first and foremost right now is the New York, um, the New Yorkers, New Yorkers for Students Educational Rights. Um, this organization is currently in, involved in legislation that is designed to promote equitable funding to public schools in the state of New York. Now, a little bit of background history for those of you who don't live and breathe education advocacy like Stephanie and I. Um, 1993, the New York State ruled, the courts ruled that it's a constitutional requirement that the state offer all children the opportunity for a sound basic education. Now, I'll be honest with you, that sounds like weasel words to me. It sounds like political speak that's designed, that's designed to, you know, give politicians enough wiggle room. But nonetheless, the courts have said over and over again, that students in New York State have a constitutional right to what is called the sound basic education. Now, there's there are lots there's lots of discussion about 
what constitutes a sound basic education. We'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> so as I said, over and over again, the, the New York State courts have affirmed that students have this constitutional right. This, however, has yet to translate into equitable funding of education in New York State. There are still school districts, the Syracuse City School District is one of them, that are disproportionately disadvantaged by the way that New York State funds education. And of course, families are not okay with this. We're not okay with our children being disadvantaged when it comes to education, basically for no good reason. So the nicer.org has been involved in legislation, uh, litigation to force New York State basically to equitably fund public education such that the districts that need more help get more help. I mean, it's no brainer that you would wanna fund education that way. <clears throat> one thought I had to that, and I remember this, and I always have to bring it up. Maybe we can't talk about it in this discussion, but something that we should look at. Um, I remember seeing in the budget proposal last year, Andrew Cuomo was speaking about how the difference of the schools are funded, where suburban schools um, are well-funded because of taxpayers, whereas the city, uh, if they were going to make cuts, there was extra money in the county that should make up for the city's tax money. Um, now, I'd have to look deeper into that, but there was a point to this of saying how, well, if there's a problem with a school underfunded, then they need to refund things the proper way. And I don't remember the details, but I, I that might be a valid point to look at because again, that goes to my point of misappropriate use of funds. We're gonna get to that, don't, don't worry. Um, but especially here in Syracuse, families are well aware that we are fighting a battle on two fronts. One, we're fighting the state for appropriate funding of public education across the state. This isn't an issue that just affects us here in Syracuse, although it, it is more it's more obvious here in Syracuse. Um, we are also very much aware, at least I am, that we are also dealing with the district itself and the question of is it allocating the funds that it does have appropriately in a way that really benefits the students of Syracuse. Which leads me to again the the nicer.org legislation moving through the courts right now and how I became a participant in that legislation. It was about 2018 and the organization was looking for families from across New York State to make the point that it wasn't just about New York City, it wasn't just about the urban centers, the disparities in funding were affecting school districts across the state. It was affecting urban districts like Syracuse and New York City. It was affecting the small rural districts who were also losing out on funding. So 
I'm like, oh, you, you're looking for people who want to fight for education funding? I'm all in. I'm up for the fight. Mm -hmm. So yeah, here we go. Here we go. Uh, families like myself, a couple of other families in Syracuse, we signed on to this legislation. We signed on to the, to, uh, the litigation. We're subpoenaed. We're deposed. We go through all of this. You know, we tell our stories about what it was, what it's like for our children in the Syracuse City School District, and what the lack of resources does for us. Move, move forward to 2020, and the leadership in the Syracuse City School District are being questioned about, well, what does, what do you need? What do you need in terms of resources? What do you need in terms of funding? And we've both seen the excerpts from the depositions, the testimony that Syracuse City School District staff gave. And it's kind of mind boggling that over and over again, we see district leadership saying that they don't know if more resources would benefit the students here in Syracuse. Um, well, <laughs> I reviewed this uh, deposition. And over and over again, it seemed that the question was posed, um, and I don't know names, I, it's not there, um, but um, the question was asked if there was enough to provide everyone a sound basic education in the city of Syracuse, and the question was, I don't know, and that more money would not help the situation. And mm -hmm. that was answered multiple times. And the only thing that was going off in my mind as um, an outsider and only learning of this now is that where is the money going then? Yes. Because it's not going where it needs to go. And he yes. couldn't, it seemed that he couldn't just come right out and say that because whether we would like to agree with this or what side of the table of you know the political spectrum you're on is really irrelevant when it comes down to our students' education. But there's an agenda. There's an agenda for our students' education. And so uh, we have to take a serious look at that because some people wouldn't speak on it because they will be fired. It might give them attention to their misuse of funds. And that's something that was just a red flag. <laughs> My conspiracy theory hat was going off and saying, ding, ding, ding. He's saying, mm -hmm. Oh no, there's enough money, but it's not going where it needs to go. We would need yeah, to send those funds somewhere. I had this, I had the same response because I have children with, with disabilities who receive special education services. And over and over again, for well over a decade, I've sat in meetings to talk about what services my children were going to get. And he knew full well, as did everyone else in the room, that the services my children were going to get weren't going to be determined by their needs, but it would be determined by the amount of money that the district had to spend on those services. Mm -hmm. And usually there wasn't enough money to spend on those services. So myself being that squeaky wheel parent, okay, my kids got kind of close to what they needed. Other parents who, who don't know how to work the system, who don't know how to pre be persistent and annoying and to you know just mass email everybody like this is a problem, we need to fix it. 
their students weren't getting the services that they needed. So the question, the, the question really is, okay, Syracuse City School District staff, you're testifying that you don't know if more resources and more funding would lead to a better educational experience for the students, then what would? And there was and, one point where he said, and let me see if I can find it really quick. Uh, let me peek here again. Give me one sec. Mm -hmm. And while you're looking for that, there's there's also a second question of, well, if there's such a huge disconnect between what families are experiencing and what district leadership are saying, what are we gonna do about that? It says to me that district leadership doesn't really have a connection to families and families experience and what students are experiencing in the classrooms. Now, did, did you find the quote you were looking for, Stephanie? I'm, uh, I think I'm here. Um... I'll take this time to mention that those of you who are watching live on Facebook, please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have, and we will be happy to answer them for you. I, I'm, I'm always up for good questions. And I have a good question and one that okay. was asked that says, has there been an occasion where one of the schools you oversee, to your mind, didn't have sufficient resources to comply with a school improvement plan? And the answer was, I don't want to say that they didn't have the resources. And this was after several questions about not needing more money. Mm -hmm. Maybe we would have to shift the resources, shift the use of their resources. So that's indicating to me that he will not come out and say that he's not getting enough money. However, he may be acknowledging the fact that the money's not going where it should. And that, that, brings, that brings to mind another point. The district on their website, um, on the budget page, has this, this little app where you can go in and try to balance the budget. And basically, you have to balance the budget by deciding which services you're going to cut, which staff you're going to cut. Are you going to fund more mental health staff? Well, that's going to cost more money, so it's going to have to come from somewhere else. And I've looked at this thing. And all of the things that, that you have to take away from or add to, those are all things that our students need. Those are all tools that the staff need to do their jobs effectively. And so we're, the district is essentially asking parents to tell them, well, which services do you want your students to go without? That's a bit problematic. And I'm not sure that's the best way to, to manage the district, to manage the funds that the district does have. And when it comes to advocating for funding, it's a little bit weird to have district staff testifying, well, we don't know if more money or more resources would help, but at the same time, asking parents to advocate with the leadership in Albany for more funding <laughs> from the state. <laughs> I mean, which is it, man? Come on, help me out here. Help me understand that. I did What's see recently um, an op-ed from Javonio 
uh, in favor and asking Syracuse cities to get onto the lawsuit. And so say that again. I saw an op-ed and let me bring it up um, mm -hmm. from Colonial School. And um, it was uh, asking for the hill. No, nope, I don't have it up right now, sorry. Um, it was asking the Syracuse City School to get on the, the lawsuit to protect children with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to hear you about support. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is that in 2018 or so, when I first learned of this, they're, they're, the district at least gave the impression that they were on board with the lawsuit and supporting family participation in advocating for more equitable funding for education uh, mm -hmm. from the state. And then 2020 happens and in the middle of, of a pandemic, we have district staff saying over and over again that we don't know if more funding would help. We don't know if more resources would help. And I'm, I'm really struggling with that because for people in leadership in the district, it's kind of their job to know those things. Absolutely. So if they don't know, What's going on? Where's the district going? Well, we can see that where the district is going, it's not really good at all. And I laugh when things are awkward, so I'm not laughing at the situation. It's just my natural, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those you laugh or you cry <laughs> things. Seriously, it's that bad. And so um, I get needing teachers to live in the city. I get that because you have to really be in the situation to truly understand how to fix the situation. And so um, this problem is so multifaceted that yeah. I hope you guys um, have success in your lawsuit, but regardless of, I believe for a person like you, Samantha, and this doesn't take away public school options. This is not gonna take away money from public schools to have an education savings account. The money's with the child anyway. <clears throat> if the school has less children attending, well, they should have a lot more availability to tailor to those children within their school district and do a much better job. Further, every child's education should skyrocket because this isn't something that a parent could take the funding from the child. This has to be used for their education, whether it be speech therapy, whether it be um, you know, making that decision that, well, what's best for your child? And what the state doesn't recognize any longer, and I, and I realize, again, this is not always the same case, but they don't really recognize a parent and knowing what's best for their children any longer, that they know what's best. And if you go against that, then you're the problem, you know? And 
me being very involved in being a homeschooling parent and like yourself advocating for your child, um, if we weren't doing this, I fear for what would be ahead for our children because there would be no opposition for whatever it is that has been laid out and is, is harming our children's education. And so we do need to continue to fight these things as many ways as that as we can, especially on a nonpartisan approach, because this isn't, you know, um, a one, as you pointed out, this is not just affecting city schools, it's also affecting rural schools. And um, transportation, I saw one part in the disposition that I read, and um, what was it saying? They would not be able to hire enough bus uh, bus personnel to do, what was this about? Yeah, so let me grab that for you. And um, I can read this for you. And, and the lawyers questioning are asking, do I understand your testimony correctly that no amount of money would enable you to recruit and retain the number of bus drivers you need? And the answer is correct. Which Why? leaves one wondering what's going on in the district. Why couldn't you get enough offering money? more funding to if offering more funding to hire more bus drivers is not actually going to produce more bus drivers? What's going on in the district that is making it that way? Are you saying that the district is someplace where people don't want to work? What's going on? I, I have so many questions, mm. and I would love for someone from the district to be answering them. That hasn't happened yet. So I'm talking to you instead. <laughs> I certainly don't have all the answers, but I hope that the stigma attached to what I'm doing doesn't make people feel that they're uh, being affected disproportionately because some children whose you know, parents are not maybe involved, maybe not advocating, maybe not having the same situation, well, they can still go to public school. There's no change needed. Their, their life doesn't change. It's just an option for the parents who want that. And I feel that the more parents who exercise that leaves the public schools to better take care of the students that remain because their burden of having to meet so many needs of certain children are no longer on them. So, um, there's many parts to that as well. And like I said, um, this really is something that we've been looking also in the city of Syracuse because we thought, should we try this just, uh, you know, countywide first? And as we looked into school choice, we saw that Syracuse kind of already has that with the no child left behind. And, um, and, and I know it's not exact, like you couldn't pull your kid out of the city of Syracuse and say, I want my kid to go to, CBA because it's a private school, right? Um, you couldn't say I want my child to go to Lafayette and expect the city to bust them per se, but uh, because uh, there's no like real agreement within the public schools. So it would have to be still citywide, but what do you do then when there's a waiting list for one school and, and you're, you know, in the meantime, your kid's waiting years to get into one school while their education's failing. No parent should have to there are parents who don't care. And, and again, their basic needs should be being met by the public school district. 
but for those parents whose basic needs are not being met, they should have options to utilize the money to find other avenues because there's a good amount of it. There's a sufficient amount per child, per student that should be able to help a parent's education um, and, and fully round to make sure that all of the services are there and available. Um, for an example, I could purchase a fifth grade home curriculum um, from some place and that cost me as much as $800, right? And then um, my daughter's having trouble with math and reading. And so I need a tutor to help her in those areas. Um, and then they have physical education requirements. So I make sure that my daughter's playing year round sports or I, you know, those are the things that you, a parent should be able to do to make the best decisions on what their kid needs. And so therefore, um, we really feel that the education savings program is the way to go because if you tie it to taxes and everything else and it gets messy and changes the number and, and again, we are still not 100% sure and we have been digging and researching how exactly is this funded? Yeah. And we know there's a formula, we know these things, but we're still looking at how exactly is this um, being funded? Um, our, 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 how, do, how do we come up with this number per student? And um, what is that exactly all based upon? So there's some blanks in there. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of blanks in there. But one of the things that your that your comments mentioned, talking about tying the funds to the student, the individual an individual pot of funds to an individual student, is that having come well, we haven't come through it yet. We're still in it, living through a pandemic where remote learning is a thing now and a student doesn't necessarily have to be in their house within the school district, anywhere near their home school to be accessing remote learning. You can be on the other side of the country and logging into Canvas and, and all of the other things to do your remote learning here in Syracuse. So that raises the question, do we continue to tie funding, education funding to zip codes? We, Do we I continue mean, to tie education funding to property taxes? Or do we tie it to the student and the needs of the student and what it actually costs to educate a student? I don't think anyone really knows what it actually costs to educate a student, which is part of the problem. No one's doing that math as far as I can tell. Yeah, and it, like I said, it's, it, even though we're looking at the legislation in several states where this is working, where this is going to happen, where um, it's been shot down, we're looking at it from all angles, but that is, again, us trying to really dig where, how exactly, when we spell out the text, how exactly do we change or make sure that this money can follow the child each and every year 
And further than that, if there's a balance for it to roll over for a college savings each year, right? A college savings like a 529. So if you don't use all of that funding, it can essentially roll over into, because each year essentially the account will be funded. So if there's not something left over, it can go to be used in the, in the future for college or trade school or something to further that child's education. And then obviously if they didn't, then it would go to a loss. But, but that's the minimal, uh, you know, in order to try to keep it into the savings account, use it for what it needs and only be for the child's educational needs. But we have to also make sure that everything is covered in a way that a parent could go school shopping and get notebooks and pens and markers and qualifying expenses. So there's a lot of details to it. But again, the biggest thing that we're looking at is where um, we know where the funding comes from, from the federal government and the state. But just that exact formula of how much is determined by, is it state size, population, census, zip code, all of these facets, how do we determine what a child gets? Because like I can tell you, North Syracuse with my child not attending at all, received probably like $12,000 for my child to not even be able to use a library book. I know what I could have done with $12,000 for my child. I can educate my child at home on a budget of less than $500 in a year. But these extra programs that I'm paying with to make sure that her sound basic education is fully functional, well, I pay out a lot of money for those things. And I feel that I really shouldn't have to be because why would the school district be receiving these funds to know, my, you know, like Tim Tebow could play school sports still. I can't. I have to pay full range in order for her to participate in a team and do these things. And I think as we dissect this, it will affect everyone. We have to stop looking at kids as a one size fits all because our kids are all individuals and they all have different varying individual needs. One kid may be great in math, another may be good in science. And we need to work around what the kids need, not what this supersized one size fits all and, the, and think that that's qualifying for the basic needs of a student because it's not. There's some students that are getting zero education out of all of this right now. And that's the most important, that's the most tragedy to think that a school district could be receiving so much funding. And that's not even including the grants and everything else that fund all of the services and programs that the kids are still not receiving. That's the part that really truly floors me to say we don't need more money. We just don't know what we're doing. That's not acceptable. Yeah. And I mean that that's essentially that's essentially what this is. So I I I appreciate that you are pointing out the fact that our education system is so cookie cutter, even with the students who have individualized education plans because of their disabilities, even that is cookie cutter. It's not exactly individualized to the student. 
and again, this is an area where parents have to fight to get what their children deserve, what the New York State Constitution says they are due, which is extremely frustrating. Now, I want to transition to the next segment of this Fireside Chat Friday. And it's been, you know, it's been in the news, it's all the rage. The, the fact that part of the latest pandemic stimulus package contains more than $128 million that will go to the Syracuse City School District. That's a lot of money. <clears throat> it's a significant portion of the proposed budget for the district for the 2021-2022 school year. It's great that we're getting that money. However, I think you can see where I'm going with this, Stephanie. The concern is that we have district leadership who don't know whether or not additional funding and additional resources will benefit students. Oh. Money couldn't get us busted. <laughs> oh, in, in light of that testimony, can we trust our, our district leadership to appropriately allocate that $128.5 million that they will be receiving for the benefit of our students? Yeah, and they should have a lot more money funding. I mean, um, with teacher cuts that they've made, I don't believe that their amount went down in the year prior of what they received for people and their grants and funding. So I understand getting everyone up and remote and doing those things and paying those teachers who they still utilize. I would assume that even in a pandemic that the school should have a surplus um, within their budget this year, not a deficit, because they did so much less than what would be typically required on a daily basis. In addition to having that extra funding, again, um, Samantha, I don't know exactly what the answer is. I just know the ways that we can work this, whether it be through lawsuits, whether it be through changing legislation that better works for our children. But the real challenge is how would you actually get oversight on the district spending? How could we go about that? That's a, that's a great question. And it's something that I'm working towards <clears throat> that I wanna work on because after reading that testimony, I'm like, okay, you guys clearly need help. Mm -hmm. You clearly need some help from people who can figure this out. And you know, I've I've met several of the people who who are whose testimony I've read. They're nice people, but what I need for my children are people who are competent, mm -hmm. who can say this is how we will provide your child with the sound basic education that they are due by the New York State Constitution. And, and this is how you will advocate for your children to get that. And I don't believe that New York State really gives a crap, and I'm just saying this in all honesty, about a child receiving a sound basic education as a right, because they did not hesitate, nor have they retracted those 27,000 children who are not, and who are, it is now on the parents to provide those children. And I'm not taking um, a, you know, an anti or pro-vaccine stance when I bring this, 
But I do believe that re religious preservation is important. And if there is a religious reason that a medical treatment is not um, what a parent decides for themselves or their student, then there should be a separation of state to back up off of that decision. However, New York State went ahead and removed that religious exemption to force, it's not mandating, but it's essentially saying you will get these vaccinations or your child will not attend public school here. And it forced parents to have to pay um, private school fees, homeschool, have their lives change drastically or comply with the state, which I feel is a strong overreach. So if you're so, talking so about taking an education away from 27,000 children, what makes you think that they're gonna give a crap about how we spend $128 million? I don't think that they're the, the religious exemptions in vaccines is something that I've, I've followed for many years. And this is really an issue of public health. And I think that's a more appropriate place to have the conversation about whether or not children who gather, who gather in large groups in public school, whether or not it's in the interest of those students to be vaccinated or not. And it's also a separate question as to whether or not there is a religious reason for people to not want to vaccinate their children. And, and being a religious person not. myself, I can understand taking a stand for a religious belief and then also being prepared to accept the consequences of that choice. And I think it's really important for those of us who are religious, who have those strong religious convictions to understand that sometimes that's what we're going to have to do to abide by our religious convictions. And so, and also there's that, that you, you, you have to weigh between religious convictions and public health and what do your religious convictions say about public health? And I think that's a, a conversation that's really more suited to the philosophical and public yeah, health realm yeah. than necessarily yeah. trying to have that conversation when we're talking about public education. But you do make a point that the state should have been able to make provision for those who do have those religious that choice. It's their right to make that choice. And if they can, if their child can no longer attend public school, no public school district should be receiving money for those students who were essentially kicked out. They should have every right to take their money to go put their child in a religious education school if that's what they choose to do. But there is a stop on the funding to follow at the private level because they don't want parents taking their children and putting them in private schools with the use of the money because that would take away from the public school. So there is already a block there in place to essentially, if you if you stand in that religious conviction and you say, okay, I, my child can no longer, we were not going to receive this vaccination. So we're not going to be attending public school. The school district is still receiving that funding for that child. Well, the parent is paying privately on their own. And that's not okay. And that is including children who were who had an IEP and were receiving services from the school. These parents have had to fight legal battles in order to make the school districts provide their children with disabilities services. And it's still ongoing. So that's another important reason I for that. The, 
I don't know how relevant this is to the Syracuse City School District, but I think that there is an argument to be made that in those situations, then homebound services can be provided to students. I want to get back again to the consideration that the Syracuse City School District is about to receive $128 million and a half dollars that they're supposed to spend on improving education for students that they're supposed to spend on providing a sound basic education for the students in Syracuse. However, we have district leadership on record saying that they don't know how to do that. That is extremely concerning. And we don't know yet who is going to be having oversight over how those funds are being used. We do have the Syracuse City School Board and the school board commissioners. I, they are aware of this testimony. They are aware of what district leadership is saying. Again, they're not talking to families or at least they're not talking to me. They might be talking to other people, <clears throat> but as a plaintiff, they're not talking to me. In fact, as a plaintiff who had to withdraw from the case, because the testimony that they gave undercut the case that families were making that our children are not receiving a sound basic education. And they're not. Any outside observer can see that the children in Syracuse are not receiving their constitutional rights to a sound basic education. So families are in a, I'm in a spot to, to wonder well, what on earth do they think we're giving to our students? And who has oversight over how they're providing that education to our students? I'll keep asking questions. <laughs> Sooner or later, somebody's gonna give an answer. We can want, one could hope, um, but you know, there's people who, like I said, that will not because sooner or later, and anybody who is looking at the fight in education has to understand that even though we may be talking about locally, there is a global agenda to change education um, in a completely digitized world. And obviously, many students would be left alone behind in this plan. So as these things go forward, we have to start looking at how do we soften the blow? How can we cushion what our children need without this? What can we do as a community, as advocates? What can we do to soften the blow of what is likely to occur because when you have a student at home with no parental supervision with no self-discipline and expect them to learn fully online what do you think is going to happen with the children missing um, from school absences um, the dropout rate everything there will be so many children that will just be swept under in that because again oversight so one of the things that you probably likely should do is light a fire on that 128 million and make sure that you know what the plans are 
for the next year ahead or the year after that for what these kids are. And if there is no plan, if there isn't one, and they're winging it as you go along, well, it's time to start making plans of your own, of our own. You're going to see a rise of micro schools across the country because there are so many people that have been affected by these educational changes that people are taking it into their own hands to make sure that the children are getting what they need. And it does take a village. I, I like that you, put, you, you pointed out who's making the plans and what are those plans going to be for? Because as I was reading, the district has until June to submit its plan to the state for how it's going to spend that $128.5 million. That's a lot of money. $128.5 million that the district is supposed to spend on behalf of our students. Now, I want to know what kind of plan they're making, and I would hope dear friends, that you want to know what kind of plan they're making and that you want some input on how they're going to spend that $128.5 million. Again, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that should go to the benefit of our students. But when you have district staff testifying that they don't know if additional resources and additional funding will benefit students, it's really concerning that these are the same people who are in charge of allocating $128 million and a half dollars on behalf of our students. So I think we need to have some more oversight, particularly by families, to figure out, well, where's the money going that you have now? What are you gonna do with the extra money? And no, 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 no. You are not beholden to the state for that money. You're beholden to the students that it is your responsibility to educate. I agree. And that's now, a we're, battle. <laughs> we're, we're almost out of time. We have a few more minutes. And um, I, I wanna take a look at some of the comments that we're getting on the Parents for Public Schools uh, Facebook Live. And yes, people are in fact stunned that we have district leadership testifying that they don't know if more resources would benefit our students. Yes, that's actually what they said. That is actually, yes, I don't know why they said it, but that's actually what they said. It's on, it's public record. <clears throat> it is extremely concerning. And yes, I would like to think that the current commissioners of education would be asking some questions of the district leadership about this testimony. I really hope that they're doing that and that the, the silence coming from the district is because they're having conversations about what are you doing with this money? Where is it going? Why don't you know? Hopefully they're having those conversations with the commissioners of education right now. That would be um, common sense, but as we see, that's not occurring very much at all. And also the number one conversation would be assessing what did not work during this pandemic because uh, that's critical information to make sure that the students who have gone up in as much as a year now um, receive every single bit that they need 
to get things going back in a way where our children are empowered and safe and learning. And um, I think there are some plans, however, the guidelines and the directive of seeing you know, everything can look good on paper when you say, that, oh, we're going to do this and this is going to be allocated for here and here and here. Um, but how many times do we see funding go to something, a program, a service that permit puts out nothing? It benefits nothing. It's there. It's available. But is it really even useful? Right. And so. I would really look at some of the programs that are in place that are not producing and look for ways to directly look at the things that were missing in this pandemic, whether it be internet technology, equipment, services for those that did not receive them and make sure that those should be the number one things to provide that basic education for all students. That should be the number one focus, I think, going into this. Senator Schumer in his, in his announcement about this, let me say it again, $128.5 million that is coming to the Syracuse City School District he specifically mentioned that this is funding that should go to those who were disproportionately impacted by the depredations of the COVID pandemic, specifically exactly. students of color, students from low-income families, students with disabilities. I win the jackpot. My kids fit into all three categories. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so these, these are the students that have felt the weight of the dysfunction of the way that we fund education, of the way that we do education in this country. And these are the students who felt it the most when the whole thing broke apart during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. So again, we do want to establish that oversight to make sure that that money goes where it's supposed to go and to make sure that it benefits the students that it's supposed to benefit. We don't want the money disappearing into the ether and our students continuing to receive a subpar education. I'm not okay with that. I have to admit, I've lost all patience at this point. I am not. Come on, we can, we can do better. Oh dear, I just lost my microphone. All right. Here we go. And, you know, as, as an indication of just how little patience I have right now, I'm knocking stuff off the table. All right. <laughs> I hope I haven't had that effect on you. <laughs> <laughs> now I can get like this all on my own just from, you know, reading research papers. <laughs> Subject, I know. <laughs> so we, oh, let me check the time. We have about three minutes left. And I want to take this time to say to our listeners, those of you who have students in the Syracuse City School District, please ask some questions. Ask the district, where is this money gonna go? What is their plan for how they're gonna spend it? And no, we don't want a fancy little presentation. We want the nitty gritty, the nuts and the bolts, the, the really 
the, the spreadsheets, okay, with all the numbers and all the line items and where things are supposed to go and what you're going to be spending that money on and who you're going to be giving it to. We want all of that stuff. Please don't sanitize anything. Don't clean it up. Don't make it look pretty. Don't patronize us. This is about the future of our children. This is information that we need to know. Yes, because changes have to be made, point blank period. And if there's money to make those changes, it's now or never. It's time to get a grip on this because this can't continue. I mean, these, the schools essentially should be shut down um, based on performance standards. So if that's all that's available to our students, to our children, we all need to do better. And that means um, parents, if you have a story of how that's happening, Send Samantha an email. You send me an email. We can point you to people <clears throat> with a voice who are working on these things to collectively work together um, because it's what we have to do. You have to be able to tell your story in order for us to be able to help you. And I'm not saying that Samantha or myself could help everybody, but at least having a place to somehow start because maybe we can point you in the right direction or we can bring you with this when we're having something come up where we may be putting pressure on legislatures or we may be having a public meeting and having these discussions, you should be a part of it. So reach out because um, it's important. We're really trying to fight and always for all students and, um, and, and thank you, Samantha, for bringing me on um, to talk about this because um, again, as you know, it's a really messy, slippery slope, but we have to, the more hands on deck that we have to, you know, really fight for our kids, is, it's really important. Well, I, I want to thank you, Stephanie Jackson, for joining me on this week's episode of Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse. I, I appreciate the, the, the issues that you speak to, and I appreciate having your voice being part of the chorus of voices speaking about education here in Syracuse. Thank you everyone for joining us. You can find us on Facebook every week, Fridays at 6 p.m. We're also on Straight Independent Radio and you can also find us on the Parents for Public Schools YouTube channel. I look forward to having another conversation about all things education next week for Fireside Friday. Oh, there it goes. For Fireside Chat Fridays. <laughs> Good night, everyone.